if I can get an answer easier way, why do I need to actually struggle myself to find the answer? Usually answers are sitting with all the employees. They know what the problems are. I just need to be able to validate that with a data point that whether that is really valid point or not. And then once I confirm that all the recommendation or pain point or room for the improvement that employee actually are recommending, we just need to formulate that as an execution strategy that we need to make it happen. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Hey there. Let me introduce you to He Kim, the ultimate CFO turned COO. He's a pro at navigating major industry shifts, and he's here to tell us his epic journey. He's all about putting people first, especially in the tech world. He's going to dish in on his first 90 days as COO, where he used amazing active listening skills and spent time with the team to really get to know them. But wait, there's more. He also had to work with not one, but two co-founders as co-CEOs, and he had to whip the organization into shape to increase efficiency. Talk about a challenge. He will even share what it was like to reduce the company size by 30% over four years, all while maintaining a top-notch company culture and being ranked as one of the best companies to work for. And did we mention he also has military experience from serving in the South Korean army? This guy is a true leader and has some incredible insights to share. So don't miss out on this amazing podcast episode. You can catch it on the Second in Command podcast channel on YouTube as well. And make sure you spread the word and share it with your friends too. So he, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Right, thank you. Thank you for the time and opportunity. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. I, I remember meeting your um, your CEO at an event. I, I've been a part of a number of different masterminds over the last 15 years. And we were at an event that Giovanni was putting on called Archangel Academy. And your CEO, John Wicks, was telling me all about your the business and the model and, and the growth. But he was also really talking a lot about the people side of the business and the culture side of the business. And it's very unusual for a, a technology company to be that obsessed about people and customer engagement, employee engagement. Can you talk a little bit about that just to get us started? So uh, I think that, that that's the very good comment or like fair comment about the tech conversation, a technology company related the cultural aspect, right? Usually like people think that a uh, technology company to be very dry or like very uh, metrics driven, et cetera. But th that's the kind of like how I can explain John Sticks and Jody, who are the two co-founder of the company, because I actually got to this opportunity, my job opportunity, based on the pure like human aspect of who John is, who Jody is too. Because like... Back in like 2019, early 2019, I actually had a pretty like bad personal life issue. And at that time, I was actually struggling, right? And pr pr previous to that time, I, I was a CFO for a, one of the largest healthcare uh, company in Canada. And then I met Jody through my network. And then I met also John Sticks through Jody, right? And then at that time, 
while I was actually going through the personal difficulties in my life and career-wise, John really stood up for me that he doesn't he didn't really know me that well. John, I was a Jody friend, but John didn't really know me that well. But I was actually surprised at how his mind was so open to help somebody and listen to somebody and try to do the problem solving together. And then I, I was very impressed. And I really like the way that he actually was committed to the human being, different human being, which mm. was myself, really, really like uh like crazy experience for me that I never had before. And that was the time that I started thinking about who I was. And then I actually married that, like my personal identif identification, that finding who I am moment plus like business uh, opportunity. And at that time, I think we had a lot of chat between John, myself, and then John was like, since you already had a experience as a, a CFO in a, one of the major companies previously, would you like to... Uh, operate the fibernetics because he knew that I was more into operation, even though my previous experience was CFO, right? Sure. More, so, so I was like, yeah, like that'll be, that'll be really great opportunity for myself. And it was an honor to actually accept the job. So that's how I started. So I think the, the way that I got introduced to John, the way that I got introduced to fibernetics was very unusual. It's almost like kind of movie story. I cannot really go into the detail too much uh, with a even limited time period right now, but that's how I started here. And then when I started, I already knew how John and Jody are good about people. And then I also experienced like how they usually approach. I'm not saying that it's always like black and white and straightforward, easy to manage the culture, right? Like, you know, there are so many different variables mm. on top of like business decision that you actually have to make all the different uh, the economical cycle that you actually have to go through but one thing that i can really tell is john and jody where they are came from actually drove them to be able to give away for all the good things for friends family so i think that composed the culture here and that drive the business at fibernetic I like it. So when you talk about the people focus, what does that mean specifically? Like the people focus, the people culture? So let's think about it this way. As a especially COO, if I actually try to think about people and job and something else that I actually have to do, especially at Fibernetics, where do I need to start? Especially like, let, let me bring back me to 29, early 2019 that I actually was introduced to the new company that I have to do some problem solving here, right? I think if you actually have an operator job for a while, we all know that answer is always start from people. People know the answer. Like, I don't really need to do the deep dive. I just need to find who actually know the best, who actually has the amount, of, like, great amount of the knowledge in organization here and there. That's the where we start from, right? And the luxury that I actually had here was, because I already spent some time with Joan and Jody that how the culture here is and what kind of the problem that I actually had to solve as a COO. When I came here, literally first three to four months, I didn't do anything. I just like kept interviewing people, spending time with the people. And that's how I learned where I need to focus, where I needed to focus, right? Without actually having the people-centric culture or if people had a fear they wouldn't actually disclose where to focus right to do the problem solving for the especially new person but they were very open to it and i 
and they, they were very cooperative. And then that's how the initial journey of myself with the fibernetics went really well and smooth, right? And all the people from there still being carried on here. And then we actually are going into the different phase of the transformation business. That's the exciting moment that we have right now. Let's talk about what, um, what fibernetics is currently and then what you are transforming into. Right. So Fibernetics is one of the largest privately owned SeaLeg uh, in Canada. So SeaLeg is actually the, the telecommunication carrier uh, license that we actually have to have to be able to provide the retail, wholesale service, everything, right? So that's where we started. And then that's the business that we've been in for the last two de- decades that we've been contributing to provide the telecommunication service uh, cost to cost from west to east in Canada for many, many different areas, right? So we provide the phone numbers for the wholesale, retail, business, et cetera. So that's that's the like infrastructure and technology that we groomed up for the last two decades. But the biggest change that actually started evolving right before and after COVID actually kicked in is UCAS, right? So Communication as a unified communication as a service became the kind of the buzzword for telecommunication world. And as you know, like Zoom or Microsoft Teams, RingCentral, those kind of the platforms are the kind of well-known UCAS providers that you can think about. Sure. And are we trying to compete with them? Yeah, like naturally we will be in a competition position with them. But the biggest difference is we have a very, very like strong unfair advantage that we actually own the large infrastructure nationwide as a CLAN, right? Based on that, we have a very strong developers, including AI developers. We are merging AI technology onto UCAS that we actually try to unlock the communication opportunity for the people, especially if you're speaking French language, that's the kind of area that we want to unlock the opportunity in Canada. Because like, for instance, when I used to work for the bank or healthcare industry, the common challenge was trying to provide a service for a Canadian, uh, French Canadian demographics, right? Or the other way around. Yeah. So John explained this to me briefly and I just about fell off my chair. I think we were walking. I probably just about fell over. Did I understand him correctly that we're going to be able to do video calls and voice calls, but if I was speaking to you in English, you could be speaking to me in French and it would automatically transfer for us? Right. So it's the real-time real time speech translation. So one thing that you need to understand is there is a diff- there is a different development phase that we are going into, but at least in the production level, we are able to provide a pretty accurate French Spanish translation so far. But since we are in Canada, I believe that focusing on even French is going to provide a lot of a, a lot of like business opportunity for a Canadian population. Right? Once we do that really well, we expand the opportunity to different language, different ethnic group pretty fast. That's pretty crazy. That 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 transition is massive for sure. Talk a little bit about what it was like to make the transition from a CFO into the COO role. What what have you had to change, and how have you had to adapt? Oh, <laughs> I, so the re, the way that I was actually being selected as a CFO in the previous company, because I actually was a already kind of pretty like big in operation for that company, so. 
like the company that we that I served as a CFO was a like largest one of the largest healthcare well, wellness and healthcare provider in Canada. So we had a, about 350 different like clinic locations and the long-term care facility service location together. So we actually probably like provided the millions of different uh, healthcare transaction like every year. While we are doing that, I was also clinician by training at the time. And at the same time, I was kind of like good at numbers. So I was actually playing, I was putting the system and uh, data analytics for the company. So the, in that, and I actually understood that how the operation was running and how to run the business as well, right? From the single clinic to nationwide uh, clinic chain. Yeah. And then like my boss actually gave me the opportunity to actually take over the CFO position because I was heavily develop, uh, involved in the num the financial aspect of the business too. So by training, I, I'm not an accountant, but I, I was lucky enough to actually have that job. So I had that job about close to two years. And then I was trying to do my own business. And then I ended up actually meeting uh, Jody while I was at the bank. And then I, I, I actually got into the startup business and end up being the COO again. And then, so so naturally, the point that I'm trying to tell is I was already like kind of heavy, heavy operator and heavy, heavily operated uh, operation mindset that I already have in my business. More financial aspect of the business sense was my extra sixth sense that I had. Okay, that makes that makes sense. So the, the, that, that's something you brought in then. So uh, in terms of the, the the moving into a completely different industry, I mean, you move from healthcare, which again you mentioned that you knew at a very kind of micro level, and then all the way macro level. How long did it take you to feel comfortable in this new role at Fibernetics? Was it months? Was it years? I'm still learning. I'm still learning after even four years because telecommunication is actually pretty complicated business, but. Based on the business fundamental of the operation and being able to running and like being able to effective at an organizational level, I think it was about six months. How about your your first ninety days? What was it like to kind of come in in the first ninety day period? How did you? Because you were coming into a how many employees were there when you joined, and how many are there now? At the time we were about two hundred people. About two hundred people when you joined. Yes. So what was it like coming into an organization that was already established? I'm sure there were some people that probably were frustrated because they wanted the COO role and you got it. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what was it like coming in in that first you know, 90-day period? What was your onboarding? So two things that I had in my mind is I didn't want to be look like new guy tried to change everything, right? Because there, there's no way that I can actually make that mind. But usually people may have a misperception or misunderstanding about the intention for the new guys, especially when new CFO, COO comes into the organization, right? So I was I was very careful. I was trying to not to be looked like that. But that was the precaution that I had based on all different business experience that I had. And the second thing that I had, I didn't focus on anything else but people. As I mentioned before, like, for first few months, I didn't do anything, only interviewing people, listening people, and then trying to understand what they are, what they like, what they don't like. Nothing else. And then I think I made a very, very like good friendship with many people within such a short time period. And then I was I, I, I was able to 
things that, okay, now I feel like I'm going to get some traction to make some changes or trying to get some help or the changes that I actually had to make with other people's help together. Now, the traction that you were getting, how long was it before you made any big people decisions like firing somebody or hiring a key person? Was that something that came in quickly? In order to actually get to that decision point, I think it took about a almost close to a year. Yeah. Like it, it was not a, as you know, like when you get to the people, people relate decision, it's not easy decision to make. Right. And personally, I have a tendency to carry people as much as I can. Right. So I don't want to drop anybody from my platoon. Right. It's like my, the army mentality just kicked in that I don't want to lose anybody if I can. So I really wanted to focus on maximizing people's strengths, not weakness. I didn't want to focus on pe- people's weakness at all. If anybody has any strengths, I wanted to maximize their opportunity. Do you focus on, I guess, on that opportunity with people as well? Talk to, talk to me a little bit about what your leadership philosophy is and how you lead people. My philosophy, <laughs> I believe that, as I say, as I said at the beginning, that Whatever the business that I've been through or I will have to in the future, the strong core principle that I have in my mind is I cannot do anything else without people, right? Mm-hmm. Customer or employee or a coworker. So I'm trying to not to lose my patience on listening skills. Mm-hmm. I'm not a listener. I'm just still trying to do that. I'm still trying to learn how to do the active listening better. But that's the kind of principle that I want to maintain as much as I can. Because if if I can get an answer easier way, why do I need to actually struggle myself to find the answer? Usually answers are sitting with all the employees, all different levels. They know what the problems are. I just need to be able to validate that with a data point that whether that is really valid point or not, right? And then once I confirm that all the recommendation or pain point or room for the improvement that employee actually are recommending, we just need to formulate that as execution strategy or tactics that we need to make it happen fast. Yeah, I love that. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right, I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me, it's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The Second in Command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays, discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption, and avoid common problems before they arrive. 
Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. How many direct reports do you have currently? Right now. So I have seven. You've got seven direct reports. How many, how many do the two co-founders have? So they have one, two, three, four. Okay. So they have a few direct reports and then you've got a bunch of direct reports. What's your kind of day-to-day, week-to-week working with your direct reports like? So my focus on first year was actually trying to contribute to change the atmosphere a little bit, right? As a new guy. So at that time, my day-to-day was really interviewing people, spending time with the people to like change the dynamics and the positions here and there. As I said, I was I wanted to focus on maximizing people's strengths. So that was first three years. But right now, as I as I also mentioned, that we are in a transformation period, right? For the technology. So I'm putting like 80% of my time on that new technology development. So I spend most of the time with uh, my development team, software development team. And then 20, 30% time because of all, because of all my direct reports are so effective. And then they're, they are a great people manager as well. Usually I interact with them about the test that I delegated to them to make sure that everything is up and running as expected. I like it. Have you had to bring in any outside senior people again, over top of the current team at all? And, and when you've done that, how have you done, how have you kind of navigated those minefields? So at least for last close to four years, John and Jody was very supportive and also like we were aligned to maximize the opportunity for people inside. So we didn't really bring like outsider too much for the senior roles, but as we actually transforming into this like AI plus communication uh, solution development together, we brought a new software a VP of software software engineer who is very experienced in AI and also he has the experience in productizing the AI product in the market too. So that's the that's the kind of like new hired new outsider hiring that I had only for the last four years. So I think like I was very lucky enough to be able to have a knowledgeable people being able to take the senior role inside. So I didn't really have to have a too much headache of the recruiting mm. people from what the outside organization. What about in, in dealing with the two, um, two co-CEOs? Have you got any lessons about working with co-CEOs? Cause that's, you know, not super normal. It's maybe 10% of companies. They are very different. Two of them are very different in, in terms of the strengths. And that's the part that I actually had a question to John that how did you actually run the business? How did you find the business and ran the business for 20 years between two friends? Because I also had another company that I used to own that I didn't really end up well. <laughs> like I, I was able to preserve the friends, but in terms of the actual leadership and outcome-wise, it was not really that great. So I, I was actually comparing between what I what I went through compared to what John and Jody have been able to do that for the last two decades. They are very different. They are very respectful to each other about what they're good at. So like when I report to both of them, 
I don't really have like duplication of the direction. Oh, that's good. So it, that's the kind of like amazing part that what John and Jody do really well. And, and most of the time, I also spend a lot of time with John about people. Most mm. do how many employees are in the company today? Right now we have about 140, 130. Like oh, so you're down because you said you were at 200 when you joined. And you're down to about 140. Why? Why is that? So basically, we actually look for the more effective way that we can run the business based on the number of the task, number of the job that we had. And also, I think there was a, some kind of the cleanup process done for the, all the previous acquisition process was done that we actually had to take care of a little bit lately. So there was a like different reason to actually do the cleanup here and there all at once, like around 2019 October. And I believe that all the people stayed since then been carrying the business really, really well, right? Especially like over the COVID time period, all the people remained show the like great uh unity great like skill set that we could actually overcome the tough time so that's tough to navigate that kind of a you know what 60 up 230 reduction in in um force what any any lessons around around executing and navigating you know a 30 percent reduction over four years like to be honest with you always restructure is not fun yeah right it's never it's never been fun and especially once in a life that I actually had my job for restructuring as a primary business focus too, that I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest with you. So when I got to that uh, moment, when I actually got the new job, I, I was a little bit nervous too, but I, I just fully trusted what Jonah and Jody had experienced and what they know about the company too. So I actually relied on them. Did you know you were coming into a restructuring? Was that part of the discussion that they were having with you at the time? Or did that come afterwards? It came after. So when that happened, like we kind of put our head together and then tried to come up with the best decision as much as we can. But as I say, at that time, it was still kind of early for me that even before my six months actually period hit. So what, what should I do? I had to re fully relying on John and Jody's experience and I trusted them because I know they are really good people. So I think that's what, at least in my perspective, that's the, that's the way that I could actually still maintain my peace in my mind. And it actually went pretty well. And they handled the restructure pretty well at that time. And that gave us the sustainability over the three, three years period of the COVID. How do you manage the communication around those layoffs? What what kind of things did you have to do with the current employees, the survivors? You know, any lessons around that? We were just being honest. Like, not we didn't put any lip service. We didn't actually do any like weird separated conversation at all. We, like we were just we were just very upfront and very straightforward and being honest. And there was a pretty good reason of like selection. So I think everybody kind of like understood where the decision came from, why we did it and the rational wise, and it was pretty well supported. When you just tell people the truth and you're just very upfront with it, it just, it always does go better. I think we often overthink it more too. Yeah, exactly. We didn't overthink. And that's actually John's style too. John doesn't overthink. Mm. He tried to actually 
be open as much as he he could. And that's the, also the lesson that I had. Like, I, I don't know about like before I met John, but after I met John, one thing that big, big, big change that I had in my personal life and the professional life, I became more uh, upfront. I have a feeling like John, not only does he not overthink, he, he thinks out loud. That's the, that's the correct way to say, yeah. Yeah, John's thoughts are more verbal. Like they, it has to come out of his mouth for him to have a thought. So how do you work with an entrepreneur who is like that, who's a quick start, who, you know, probably a high D, high I, they're often perceived as winging it or shooting from the hip and, and they're not, but how do you work with them in that kind of a, a communication style? So unique part between at least John and myself, we spent a lot of personal time together. Mm. Like John kindly invited me to his family that I spent a lot of time with his family too. So like, believe it or not, probably like first three years, every other weekend, at least I spent the time with their, like his family. So I, that, that was the like crazy luxury that I had that I could understand him who truly is not just about work, like about his life and his principle way that he lives and then i think that that just resolved everything so like we didn't really have to think too much about like this this communication like we don't need to really worry about like how he's gonna take how that guy gonna take at least between two of us yeah so that way i truly appreciate how much time and effort that he actually put it together for me I, I think that's really critical. I, I talk about it in my newest book called The Second in Command. And I talk about what, I, you know, the, the CEO and COO need to have date night. They need to spend time together. They need to get out of the business. They need to get to know each other as humans because that really builds the fabric of trust and communication, right? And it sounds like that was really powerful for you guys. You you mentioned COVID a couple of times and and the transition that COVID had hit you with. What was that? And I know Ontario in Canada, where you're from, was very extreme for COVID as well with the lockdowns. And how did you guys as a company navigate that? What any lessons from that? And were there any anything that you learned from going through that that you still carry with you today? So I actually have a very good story in terms of the how much like impre- good impression that I actually got from the experience. So when I was at the bank, my job and all the job related our department was, was about business continuity, right? To make sure that bank is up and running, all the process in place, etc. So I actually came from that, and also I have an army experience. So like it's really critical to make sure that we all we we whatever the business that I'm in should actually have a good agile approach to overcome any kind of sudden cha- uh, challenges, right? And then when I came here, COVID just like burst. And then all of a sudden, we actually started actually seeing that all the small business customers that we have, right, are panicking. And then they try to actually do, they they try to have a transition of like in-office environment to work from home within just like two to three weeks of that COVID lockdown started. The crazy impression that I had is our guys, made all the 35 like business customer transition happen within just two weeks with no like noise at all. This is actually incredible. I'm like, even though I've I've been practicing building BCP uh, business practice for the healthcare bank or like even other entrepreneur businesses, 
but I never seen that this kind of like fast transition could happen with a like given number of the staff or that many customer. Like almost like nothing ever happened. So I feel like I can't even I can't even believe that how we actually handled that so smooth. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how so many companies were able to go through it so smoothly and how it gave us a full relook at our businesses. So are you going back to in office? Are you moving more to a hybrid organization? Where have you guys migrated over the last three years? So right now, uh, most of the resources are still work from home, except for tech support and uh, key management people. So for instance, myself, for the last like, three years, 90% I was in the office, like no matter what, whether the people are here or not, but at least I wanted to be here while the tech support team are in the office. So I just wanted to actually share the feeling that I'm, I'm here, that I'm supporting them and they're supporting me too. Right. And then based on the necessary people just like comes in and out. So that's where we are at right now. But all the management, management people started coming here at least twice a week. That's great. You, you mentioned um, the military a couple of times. I'm intrigued by that. So what was your military experience? And then what did you take from the military that you brought back into you know, the, the for-profit sector? So I came from Korea, South Korea. So as a South Korean guy, that's the mandatory service. So every, every Korean has to go, like the, the male population. So with that reason, I went there as a young kid, went to the army that I never had any leadership experience, but based on the nature of the environment there, you are getting into the leadership position eventually, right? Before you end your service. So that was the fortune that I had. And I learned how to deal with a kind of like confrontation and conflict management. And also as a young kid, I, I had to make the many, many different tough decisions at that time. I didn't know that what I learned at that time, to be honest with you. But once I actually got into the business later on, I started realizing that, oh, this is what I learned from Army. So it was pretty uh, like straightforward the applications that, okay, like whatever the things that I learned from the Army, which is also very, very people-based. Mm. I just need to make sure that I apply the same principle, maintaining the same transparency, and also applying the same standard to anybody. But at, at the same time, I was actually, I was supposed to be flexible enough to, uh, to listen people's like different perspective and circumstance, like as much as I needed and then made a decision and then everything just worked in the same way. That's interesting. I just got exposed to um, a group out of the United States called the Special Operators Transition Foundation. And it takes senior operation, operators, people from the military and helps them transition into the for-profit world. And it's pretty intriguing to see the experience that, that you get. So the, I'm glad you shared that. All right, let's go back to the 21 or 22-year-old he and, and you need some advice. What advice would you give the 22-year-old that you know to be true today? If I can actually advise myself back in the time, I would actually encourage myself to have a gratitude about my life. This is not this is not my lip service to John Sticks at all, but this is truly what John Sticks actually gave me as a friend. And he changed my life, which is until I met John and until I actually worked with John and Jody, right? I never actually had a gratitude about my life. I was always complaining. 
Wow. Especially like when I was a CFO, within such a short time period for the like nationwide organization with 1,600 people, I was not having any gratitude. I was miserable. Like I didn't satisfy at all. But now I learned how to actually put my gratitude into my life, right? So if I could actually understand the greatness of having gratitude of my life, I think I I could be better. I could be better person <laughs> if I go back to twenty one. <laughs> better and and even happier than you are today, which is amazing. That's a great lesson here. I appreciate that. He Kim, the COO for Fibernetics. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.